welcome to the third season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guests today are David Sisko and Laura Josepher. David and Laura are active freelance artists living in New York City. David is a composer, voice teacher, and music director who serves as adjunct faculty at Wagner College and gives master classes and workshops around the country and internationally. Laura is a director, teacher, and audition coach who specializes in preparing teens auditioning for performing arts high schools and colleges. Together, they run ContemporaryMusicalTheater.com, the largest online database of contemporary musical theater writers and songs. We're going to talk today about contemporary musical theater. Hi, David and Laura. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Great. Well, uh, we will get started as we do with our get to know our guest questions. So first question, what was your first experience with a musical? Um, so I was directing, choreographing, and starring in Fiddler on the Roof in my living room, um, <laughs> probably around age eight or nine. I was really obsessed with the album. I probably enjoyed playing, playing Hoddle more than I should have. <laughs> at that age. Um, so that was my kind of my, my entrance into musical theater. And then the first show that I saw live was Cats. And it was as confounding then as it is today. <laughs> Even then. <laughs> so I grew up in a musical theater loving home on Long Island. And my mom had a huge cabinet full of musical theater records. Um, uh, in the last interview that I did, I got in trouble because I said I didn't remember the first show that I had been taken to as a child. So my mother pulled out all of her date books <laughs> so that she could actually get the real answer, which is that my first show was seeing The Wiz on Broadway in 1975. Oh, wow. I was eight years old. Um, my first prominent memory, though, I would have to say was seeing the original Broadway production of Dreamgirls. I saw Jennifer Holliday in that Act One finale singing I'm Telling You I'm Not Going, and like all of the air was sucked out of the room. It was just the first time I saw somebody so embody something, she just like left it all out there on the stage. Um, that Michael Bennett production, it was like a bare stage and really just blew my mind. I recently rewatched it on YouTube and it still takes my breath away. What is the last great musical you saw? The last great thing that I saw was The Band's Visit. Um, and for me, it was great on many levels because it was such a boon for diversity um, in our industry. David Yazbek's score is incredibly specific and stunning, um, as, was, as were the orchestrations. And David Cromer, who directed the production, it was such a, it's such a, kind of a intimate piece so quiet and I thought that he really trusted the quietness of the, the piece in a way that I, I hadn't seen on Broadway in a while. And I'm going to go with a quarantine performance that I saw <laughs> um, watching the Sondheim 90th birthday celebration that was on Broadway.com. Laura Benanti singing I Remember uh, in her bathroom <laughs> just 
I just thought it was so emblematic of the times that we're in. I thought she really embraced this sort of self-tape era that we are now in. And she really found a way to like connect to that song, to us at home. And it really, it really just got me. What's your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? I'm going to go with The Immigrant, Mm, uh, which played off-Broadway in the early aughts. I actually didn't get a chance to see this, but I I got a a cast album of it and just became utterly obsessed with it. And um, it's such a beautiful uh, story uh, about, um, I believe it's a Russian immigrant um, bringing his uh, daughter to Texas um, to um, survive, really, and uh, was really moved by the story. It actually, incidentally, was what got me to thinking about creating contemporarymusicaltheater.com because there was a mm. piece of uh, a song from that that show that I, I loved so much and I couldn't find the music for it anywhere. And I so I ended up reaching out to the writers and they were very kind and they're like, oh, let me give you a copy of it. I was like, no, no, you, you actually spent a lot of time writing this. I'm a writer. I understand this. You deserve to get paid. And boom, my light bulb went off. Uh, and I was like, that's, that's actually how contemporarymusicaltheater.com was born oh, wow. through my experience of, of loving this, this show that a lot of people don't know. Yeah. Great. I'll have to look it up. It's a great show. Yeah. Oh. Uh, mine is not like guess it, it's not no one else has heard of but I, I wish more people had heard of it which is Carmel Dean's Renaissance mm, which was yeah. it was so so beautiful and so moving her music was soaring her setting of the poem at the end it's Edna St. Vincent Millay am mm-hmm. I correct that's mm-hmm. is that the poet yes um and the actual entire 20 minute poem at the end of the show is one musical number and it's just it's just breathtaking so i just wished more people had gotten to see it this you can buy the soundtrack now which i do listen to i have a that lot. yeah <laughs> so it's really worth listening to it's quite beautiful yeah carmel dean and dick scanlon's work on that show is really um extraordinary and transport group who um who uh produced it i mean they're always good for amazing innovative work what is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to yeah i don't know if i am answering this correctly but in carolina change chuck cooper as the bus announcing the assassination of of john f kennedy i think is so complex and it's so i mean that whole show um again janine tesori uh and 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 the stem tony kushner but that that inanimate objects are singing um is 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 brilliant but the fact that that um that's how we learn i mean obviously we know that history so well but there was something so emotionally potent about that moment um, especially uh, through Chuck Cooper's amazing uh, instrument that um, was transformative. And I think that um, uh, not a, uh, alongside that, not a runner-up, but alongside that would be Strange Loop, um, uh, obviously just won the uh, Pulitzer um, and uh, created so many 
unbelievable moments that I don't think we had ever seen in, on a, a theatrical stage in a musical. Um, I'm going to pick um, uh, something from a show David and I saw together, which is Bridges of Madison County. And there is uh, the beginning of like one second or a million miles when the accompaniment drops out and Stephen Pasquale as Robert sings to Francesca a cappella. And it just, it was such an emotional um, risk, you know, the choice because him saying I love you and please come with me was such a bare and raw, emo- you know, emotion that Jason Robert Brown, right? smartly thought the only way to kind of show how vulnerable he is in that moment was to completely make him sing alone out there so vulnerable and it oh and you know and it wasn't like a short measure or two right i mean that thing is like 16 measures long and i remember dave and i were like both holding our breath because not only was it so beautiful and he was so right in the middle of that pitch that when the orchestra comes right back in Mm. oh just took my breath away well great now we can uh move on to our topic which is contemporary musical theater um and you both run um a website for contemporary musical theater um so before we dive into the topic why don't you guys um just give a a little overview of the the website um and then we can kind of talk about contemporary musical theater and what that means um, great. So I'll take that, David, if it's okay. Sure. <laughs> um, so contemporarymusicaltheater.com is the largest database of contemporary musical theater writers and songs. We have about 100 writers and writer, writing teams on the site with about 600 songs and growing uh, that you can search all of the songs by voice type, by song type, by genre, um, we also now just started doing audition cuts as well with mp3s on the site so people can practice those on the site as well great and david you had mentioned before kind of the origins of of the site which was great to hear as well um so yeah contemporary musical theater when we say that i guess the question is what do we mean when we say contemporary the definition definition of contemporary musical theater is driven by time period but not so much by style many make the, people make the mistake of thinking that all contemporary musical theater sounds like pop rock and it really doesn't there's really like we like to say it's a rainbow golf umbrella <laughs> of styles that all fall under the contemporary musical theater family and I'm sure historians will come up with, you know, a term for this period of musical theater history from the beginning of, if we have to pick a time, let's say the beginning of the 2000s um, up to today, and maybe it's, you know, the new golden age of musical theater. Um, But for now, contemporary musical theater is a term that we have. And I think also it's not just about how we uh, classify and label uh, the music of this time, but it's also um, it's also looking at and considering the different ways that theater makers are creating pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much innovation, and you know we talk about Strange Loop is a great great example. I mean that is meta upon meta upon meta, and and so um, so interestingly and intricately crafted. Um, and so I think that also um, comes into this conversation. 
I think historians are going to have a lot of fun talking not only about the different styles uh, that make up contemporary musical theater, but they're also going to be talking about uh, how the storytelling, the envelope of the storytelling has been uh, pushed forward. Great. And when we say, I guess, different ways that creators are making stories, uh, maybe we can go a little deeper into into that as well and what sure. what that means. Yeah, we, we were uh, trying to think of some examples and, um, you know, Fun Home, mm-hmm. again, is a great example because this, this is something that was adapted uh, from a graphic novel. And it is, not only is its um, uh, source material interesting, mm-hmm. uh, unique, but also the interesting way that the piece is sewn together in terms of going back and forth in time. Another thing I was thinking of, you know, when you had mentioned this, this idea of different ways people are telling stories is the, just the idea itself of the, the standalone song that um, I feel to me anyway, feels like a very contemporary type of song. Whereas like before, like you definitely had reviews and you had songs that were written that could be taken out, you know, and, and work outside. But just the idea of like, oh, I'm, I just wrote a song. It doesn't go in any show. It's a theatrical song, but it doesn't, it's not part of this review. It's not part of this show. It, it's just, you know, I can put it in a concert here and there and maybe I'll put it in, you know, a, um, a con- like a song cycle of mine later. But it, you know, it, it kind of is just its own theatrical song thing which I to me feels like a much more contemporary idea yeah I mean I think I think you're right I mean I think a traditional the way we think of traditional musical theater songs is they have to get from point a to point b and the character takes a journey um in the course of the song whereas a standalone song it may be I mean a lot of standalone songs are story songs um but they don't necessarily have to do that they don't have the same constraints on them that a musical theater song has in terms of storytelling because you don't have that you know they they have to just stand on their own without having the history or the book or anything right, else right. yeah i think the, there's a the other thing about uh standalone songs or story songs and a lot of time as laura said uh those things um are, are uh run parallel to each other um the, it, I think it is a necessity now for contemporary writers to write these types of songs because it has become increasingly impossible to get airtime mm-hmm. any other way. I mean, you're not going to get, you know, unless you have a big shiny musical on Broadway, you're not, people are not going to know your songs, but you write a really good, you know, under five minute story song that, that, um, Jeremy Jordan sings at 54 below and all of a sudden there's an opportunity for you to have notoriety and for people to get to know your work and also for you to make money on your work. Um, it is it is both um, a function of the creativity of the, the times in which we live and it's but it's also an economic I think economic um, reality of creating something that people are going to be able to digest. Um, so people can appreciate work beyond an entire piece. Yeah. And this is like the changing way that musical theater is, you know, getting out to the world. I mean, you know, in that era when I was growing up and we were growing up and, 
you know, you had the, you had a Broadway show and then you had the album. And if you look even further back, like into the forties and fifties, that music was playing on the radio in top 40. And right now, even for Broadway music to get out into the world, I mean, you do have like, you know, the serious Broadway channel, but you also have, you know, individual artists putting their standalone songs uh, on YouTube or bringing them to, to 54 below. And so you don't have to wait for the show album to come out. You know, you hear when they first did a reading and they make a concept album and people mm -hmm. do the concerts of their own music. And so I think those standalone songs, you know, that's a way to, for an artist to get their name out into the world. Um, and hopefully, you know, bring along those shows, which we know are in their, in their, in their drawers at home. Right. Yeah, I think you guys are absolutely right. Like, it's interesting, yeah, the necessity of it. And also I'm thinking of when, like, you know, there's a concert or somebody's collecting songs for a concert and you submit a song. It, I feel like the ones that go usually go over the best are the ones that are not from a show. They're, you know, um, so people don't need that context. And it, it, yeah. it showcases the writer and their work a lot better to have, a, like, a section of your work be those kind of songs. And that's the kind of calling card, you know, that becomes your calling card, too, you know, mm -hmm. in a different way than it used to be, you know, for people to get their work out there. Right, right. So I also thought it was interesting. You said you think, like, um, we're looking back to maybe, like, 2000, early 2000s when we're starting to talk about contemporary musical theater. Do you think that there was, like, um, a show or, like, a moment or a trend that started to classify contemporary musical theater at that time? I think of his, I think of rent as some sort of a dividing line. Mm. Yeah. I think that's totally accurate. I mean, for many reasons, I think because of the production value, I think it was one of those first musicals that kind of pulled back again, you know, having that very, very bare uh, set that it was really so, uh, you know, it was pop rock driven, obviously mm. had some very classical source material but finding a way to modernize that and also you know talking about aids and talking about really current issues along with yeah. that i don't know why but i i, I also uh, next to normal really comes to me mm -hmm. as uh kind of a watershed moment um for um for the way that uh pop rock music is used in in um, contemporary musical theater and uh the way that it, it um becomes part of the DNA of the storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that, you know, that that's, those are the shows that, that kind of like were ahead of their time yeah. in, in many ways. So we mentioned that, you know, that contemporary musical theater is not one, one musical style, but many. Well, we were trying to think of things in each sort of genre. I think people, as I said, I think people do get stuck in thinking when you say contemporary musical theater that we're talking about pop rock. And that mm -hmm. is definitely one part of what contemporary musical theater is. But there's a, there are really a lot of different styles of music that people are writing in that all fall into this genre. So yeah. the first one that came to mind was Bright Star, mm -hmm. which really is, you know, either bluegrass or country or, you know, <laughs> has a little bit of feeling uh, of both of those. Um, definitely not the same instrumentation and definitely a different musical um, feel. We talked about the band's visit, which really feels like world music. I mean, using really traditional Arabic instruments. I mean, there's ouds and, you know, all these, and these sounds, just the, uh, the chords and things that they use in that that really give it that, 
you know, that, that flavor about the part of the world that they use. Um, then we have all the jukebox musicals, which of course, you know, something like Ain't Too Proud, which is, um, you know, obviously R and B and, and from that, from that world, bringing that kind of music onto Broadway. Do you want to add on David? Sure. Um, I think shows like Dear and Hanson, of course, this is, you know, to me, uh, a perfect example of how pop rock uh, has infiltrated, again, the, the contemporary stuff, not infiltrated, but has really, um, has become a perfect marriage um, mm-hmm. in, in a contemporary musical. And um, we should also be careful not to say that, you know, uh, that musicals only reflect one particular style. Like we look at uh, shows like Town, which, I mean, it, it, it um, has a lot of different influences that are kind of in a similar vein, but like there's, you know, there, there's definitely blues in there. There's, you know, um, there's, there's folk in there. Um, uh, we look at um, uh, Great Comet is another great example. I mean, everything but the kitchen sink in terms of style um, are, is in this. Um, and of course, Hamilton um, using hip hop, but also um, hearing different flavors uh, within even, even that musical that does, is categorized as a hip hop musical. Yeah. And I should also say there's also things that sound really like legit golden age things. Like you have shows like Light in the Piazza, mm-hmm. you know, Adam Gettle writing in a style that very much could have been a musical of the 40s, you know. Um, although it has some very modern uh, musical ideas in it, there's also a base in a very legit golden age feel. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like that's what's exciting about it is that it's not just like a style that it's, these composers are bringing their style to or what they're interested in writing to whatever the story may call for or just what their style is and putting that onto the onto the story yeah you look at writing um you know we always talk about Janine Tesori Mm -hmm. um you know I mean the same person wrote Shrek and wrote Caroline or Change right that's kind of like two ends of and thoroughly modern Millie like, yeah, yeah. I mean, and fun home. I mean, yeah. Uh, fun home, right. yeah. I mean, it's really not, not the same at all. Um, yeah. So you you really can have a range even with writers who basically are looking at what the material is demanding of them and then bringing that into the show. Yeah, I was just thinking like there's, um, I guess two composers that I guess are kind of started in the 90s but um kind of also seemed to me very much part of contemporary musical theater um on like a more well-known end and those are Jason Robert Brown and Michael John Lacusa two very different composers but I feel like they they also embody for me um uh what like I, I, when I think of contemporary musical theater, I think a lot about you know their shows, what they're doing, um, and like Michael John Lacuse on more of like a legit end, and Jason Robert Brown on more of like a pop rock end. Sure. Well, and and you know when we if we go back to talking about how stories are told, I mean Michael mm-hmm. John Lacusa, 
is what a great example. I mean, you look at stories like um, or musicals like Queen of Mist or mm-hmm. um, or um, the First Daughter Suite, mm-hmm. which is not public. Just, I mean, it, it's it is music drama, like it is music theater. Right. It is it is uh, it is its own thing. I, I, it's not what you would call like your typical musical. And that's why I love his work is because I go and I'm like, I have no clue what's going to happen next. And I'm so excited that I don't right. know. And I know? think if you, if you do make the mistake of thinking of contemporary musical theater as just kind of like pop rock, then it kind of, you would shut out, you know? Yeah. All that, I mean, Adam Gettle, Michael John Lacusa, who are writing contemporary, but are writing on like a more legit end. Yeah. Well, and even, you know, even, I mean, in terms of writers who can write the gamut, I mean, you know, Honeymoon in Vegas, Mm -hmm. which is in Madison County. I mean, Jason Robert Brown is another great example of... Parade. um, Yeah. Parade. I mean, he's really able to, you know, able to um, understand a genre of music and use it as a way of, of better giving us the emotional life of a character. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking of uh, Aaron's and Flaherty mm-hmm. equally, like the same way. I mean, yeah. the same people wrote Ragtime and Once on this Island and Death right. and You know, really, and I remember hearing Stephen Flaherty talk about this one time of, you know, the first the first thing he does is when he's working on a project is sort of try to immerse himself in the music of what what is that world, you know, when yeah. he's doing Once on this Island, what is the flavor of this, you know, Caribbean sort of in, in, infused music. And when he was doing Rocky, like, what is that? Song? Right, you know, really, right. Really very, very disparate kinds of things, but all would be under the umbrella of contemporary. Yeah. And, and these writers that we're talking about, I mean, they're not just digesting these styles and then regurgitating them you know what they've done and the reason that we're mentioning them the reason that they're so brilliant is that they have digested them and they have integrated them in their own voice right right and that's what's so exciting to hear yeah and um and on the, I guess, and then another way of telling stories that I, this conversation has made me think about is that there's these writers who are who are writing kind of in the style of what the show is dictating. But then you have something, someone uh, like Duncan Sheik, who's writing his style and just putting his style right on, <laughs> right onto yeah. the shows like Spring Awakening and um, Alice by Heart, um, which was set like in kind of a uh, was it World War Two? I think um, in London, he has a style, and he's just kind of, kind of putting his music into it, and we just go with that because that's his sound. But, you know, you're taking this 19th century mm-hmm. novel um, that was, you know, pretty pretty advanced for its time, but right. then taking it to talk to a, an audience in the 2000s. You know right. what I mean? Like that. How do you take those? Because those stories do translate, right? So he's just using the music as the vehicle to get us into a story that, um, you know, an older story, but that is kind of timeless. There's a proliferation of styles now that has made this beautiful melting pot of um, uh, uh, 
kind of rich soil for musical theater writers. Yeah. Which to, to draw. Yeah, and I think also because it's musical theater, we get uh, we also get the idea of character music. I don't know exactly how that fits in to the sounds, but just the fact that like we know composers are writing ca- for character, that also um, makes the music take on another dimension. Like you could have different styles within the same show. Like maybe this music, this character is you know, is this kind of music, you know, is, is kind of like a rap sound, this character is a more legit sound, you, like yeah. those two sounds can come together within the same show sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I heard I heard recently um, Lin-Manuel Miranda talking about Hamilton and why he wrote Thomas Jefferson's music when he first comes back in that sort of like jazzy right. style. And he said the reason was, you know, because when he left America, this was the sound that was happening. Mm. So, he, you know, he's, he's singing yeah. this song, What Did I Miss? So he's decided he should be in a musical style that's backwards, <laughs> not in the current parlance. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a cool way of, like, how do, like how can you use musical styles to to say something to yeah, about absolutely. character or about, or, like, a meta comment about character in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Should we... Uh, move on to talking about uh, some of the songs that are on the site? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great. The first one, you guys have uh, kind of split them up into different musical styles. So I th- the first one uh, we have here is folk. And uh, we're going to talk about Side by Side by McGuire and Simon. So why did you guys pick this song for to represent folk? Yeah, I think, as we said, there, we have so many different styles. And this song, this is written by Janine McGuire and Erie Lawton-Simon, and it's from their show Express. And I just feel like, I mean, this sounds like it could be a Joni Mitchell song. Mm-hmm. It really, you know, people would listen to this and say, that's not contemporary musical theater. That's a folk song. But, yeah. it, you know, they are writing about this entire show takes place on a New York City subway. So it's sort of about all the different styles of human beings that exist in New York City. So this character gets to have this very folky sounding um, song. It just, you know, it's really a great example of how, these styles of melded musical theater and, you know, gives us a sort of beautiful hybrid. Great. Yeah. And as I was listening to it, um, it also felt like, you know, it's not just, you know, someone with a guitar, which is like, sometimes you think about with folks, it's still, it's still like a lot, a very complex, you know, uh, uh, but yet soar and soaring song that um, it kind of feels like it's both, um, you know, both folk and I guess like situated within a musical. Thank you. 
jazz or standards and we're going to talk about there's a world out there by Hubbard uh, and Oler. Allison Hubbard and mm -hmm. Kim Oler wrote an adaptation of Little Women in the early 2000s and this is Joe's I Am song um, and this is a really great example we were talking earlier about songs that are contemporary but that are actually feel like their golden age mm -hmm. and this song completely feels like it's a, a golden age piece yeah even though it definitely has some contemporary touches especially in, in the ways that it's it's sung where the voice goes um you know in, in the piece but this is a, this you could easily use this song for like a pajama game uh, mm -hmm. audition or or any any for any role where the the, the female character was plucky and you know and, and hungry <laughs> for adventure that's kind of we love that word plucky um yeah <laughs> that uh that feels totally right totally right to me and that's that's what i love this is you know especially because golden age and contemporary seem like they could not be further apart mm -hmm. this is an example of where they're actually beautifully melded in this song there's there's one moment I just have to kind of fan crush on um, Allison and, and Kim. Um, there's this moment at the end where she sings "Hello, I'm Joe," <laughs> and it's it's and it's a, a modulation down, mm. and it's and it's normally modulations of course go up, and it's a modulation down, and it's so exciting. Yeah. Um, that it, it just makes me overjoyed. Every time I hear this song, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for, especially for that moment. An open window, shouting to the people rushing by. Hello, I'm Joe. There's a world in here, inside this girl from Concord. There's so much I can be. about some in the pop a song from the pop style we're going to talk about sea rock city by adam matthias and brad alexander yeah this is from their show sea rock city and other destinations it's kind of like a travelogue um it's a contemporary musical about connections missed and made at tourist destinations across America. And this this title song has like this real pop rock drive. And I think that's something that maybe David can talk about this a little bit, but just one of the things that about things that you think as pop rock in terms of contemporary musical theater was really a change in what was our traditional pit. You know, part of it is monetary. Our pits got smaller a lot of times. You know, mm -hmm. you'll now often see like a five-piece combo instead of that 30-piece orchestra we were used to having. Right. But using different instrumentation in a pit um, makes the sound different. 
Yeah, and so like the use of guitar and drums, and and I um I, I should have looked this up before um, the interview. I, I I do not know who orchestrated this piece, but it's it's very it's it's so well done um, because they're able to achieve throughout the musical um, a lot of different colors, um, including this this pop rock sensibility. Um, oh, also by the way, uh, one that. Um, drama desk for best book um it's also you know it's i think this song is also emblematic of contemporary musical theater writing today in that it really requires a vocal athlete i mean this is this song is uh for high belt tenor um and it's not just high belt tenor it's very you know you're 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 holding an a for um, for a little bit, <laughs> you know, so, um, so the, the singing requirements for, for singers has certainly changed. Mm. Uh, and as a voice teacher, this is something I'm, I'm really passionate about making sure that, you know, I think this is uh, just to be very clear, this is a very well-written piece of music. Um, but I think, you know, today the training for musical theater performers, um, is ne necessarily changing because, because of the uh, influx of all these beautiful styles into um, into contemporary musical theater, uh, the necess uh, necessity of being able to understand how these styles work in each individual's voice um, without imitation, and the the demands on the voice, um, especially for women, um, you know, ha have gone up, you know, I mean, tremendously. That's an understatement. And so, so really training vocal athletes, you know, in, in a way that, that allows them to access their, the complete part of their voice in a very healthy way. Now that I've seen the signs, they say to see Rock City, he let us ten feet high. I've got to see Rock City, won't let the chance go by. Can't you feel the thrill? Just four more hours till Rock City. Now after years on the highway, I think I finally see where I'm meant to be. I've got to see Resist its call. You've got to see Rock City. You've got to see it all. No more moving on after this night is through. For in the early dawn, Rock City waits for you. Rock City. For why is this so good? Um, we're going to talk about the song Changing My Major uh, from Fun Home. So why did you pick this song for why is this so good? Um, several reasons. The first, um, again, Janine Tesori and Lisa Crone, we celebrate women writers in the theater. That's something that we're actually really passionate about at contemporarymusicaltheater.com. We're always looking to uh, increase um, diversity in our roster in any way, shape, or form we can. 
Um, but I think that what they have created is exactly what we were just talking about. This piece is is modular, like it's, and yet you can't move one piece out mm-hmm. and have it feel dramatically complete. Um, and there's a real, um, there are several different sections that keep on coming back but they don't come back in the order that you you think so this could not be this is like the furthest you could get from aaba Mm -hmm. right and yet it it allows us to alternate between this rhapsodic feeling that the character is having and and kind of the 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 earn it the, the kind of the debilitating intimacy of it as well mm-hmm. um and and somehow that is just effortlessly heightened by john clancy's orchestration and that's that's to me why it, it's you know it's so good lisa crone had never written a musical right. before Right. And she brought this project to Janine Tesori, who said, oh, this scares the hell out of me trying to do this with a graphic novel, which is exactly why I want to do mm-hmm. it. Um, so Lisa Crone didn't have the parameters of songwriting and lyric writing because she had never done it before. So that's partly why it's so exciting. And the beginning of that verse to me, which is really like an operatic recit, mm-hmm. it's really not a traditional verse in any sort of way. You know, it's it, just the way she's talking. What happened last night? Are you really here? Joan, 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 Joan. Hi, Joan. It's just it's just dialogue that's set with some music um, underneath. And I think that's, I love that beginning, the way that yeah. it is, because it's just, it just goes from the character speaking and then it just becomes a song. What happened last night? Are you really here? Joan, 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 Joan. Hi, Joan, don't wake up, Joan. Oh my God, last night. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, last night. I got so excited, I was too enthusiastic. Thank you for not laughing. Well, you laughed a little bit at one point when I was touching you and said I might lose consciousness, which you said was adorable. And I just have to trust that you don't think I'm an idiot or some kind of an animal. I never lost control due to overwhelming lust, but I must say that I'm changing my major to Joan. And then, you know, the other thing is for me, the chorus of the song is not a traditional chorus. It morphs every time you hear it. Mm-hmm. So lyrically, it changes. I mean, the first time you hear, I'm changing my major to Joan. The second time that same phrase comes, it's I'm writing a thesis on Joan. Right. It's and not then the even last time, time you yeah. hear it, you hear the same words, but it's musically morphed. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, it doesn't repeat in the same way. Right. And actually that last time it comes back, the I'm changing my major to Joan. It, there's this key change in the middle of it. It's an enharmonic modulation, which is, um, makes me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm changing my major to Joan. I thought all my life I'd be all alone. 
it's also the the way the the as David said the the orchestration and what's underneath it. I mean, there's that moment with like the very minimalist um, where you where you get to the bridge and there's just that minimal cello line mm-hmm. underneath, which is so great. It just it just really it allows you to feel the characters' emotions musically in a way without using a traditional song structure. Right. Um, and then it kind of goes to those strings underneath, which sort of represents the anxiety that mm-hmm. she's that she's feeling in that moment before it goes to that fancy musical thing called anharmonic modulation. <laughs> I don't know who I am. I've become someone new. Nothing I just did is anything I would do. Overnight, everything changed. I am not prepared. I'm dizzy, I'm nauseous, I'm shaky. I'm scared. Am I falling into nothingness or flying into something so sublime? Dramatically, it works so well here because she's having this, like, hugely exciting moment for herself. So, of course, like, things are not regular. Things are not all equal. She's, you know, her mind is kind of jumping around um, because for those who don't know the show dramatically in this moment, she's just kind of discovered her sexuality and has um, had sex with this woman, Joan, uh, who's at her college and it's her first uh, sexual experience and it's and just the joy and the overwhelmingness of that is kind of what's what's going on here and to me it's exactly as you you said Shoshana that um there is a a kind of a flitting quality of of her experience being totally in the moment of it and yet Janine through the music keeps on creating these musical cells that ground it still feel like it has structure even though it has even though it's it's emotionally malleable right yeah you know and it just really yeah it just really feels like stream of consciousness as far as the lyric goes and i think the way janine tesori matched that is just brilliant yeah it definitely has these things that ground you one that i always enjoy is the when when the rhymes come in it's always feels really satisfying. Like there's this triple rhyme that keeps coming back, you know, each time. Um, the first time it's uh, thighs, Jones in her thighs, Jones ass in her Levi's crazy brown eyes. And then it comes back as uh, way down her spine, well-made outline, research is mine. And then we get it again, uh, drooled on her pillow so sweet, tangled up in my bed sheet, my heart feels complete. And um, there, I mean, there is other rhyme in the song, Joan always rhymes, but it's not a song that I think of as doing a lot of rhyming. So when those rhymes come in, it feels, it feels all the more satisfying because I'm not hearing too many other rhymes. 
And also because the meter of those rhymes is not always the same either. Mm-hmm. It's not a predictable musical phrase where the rhymes line up in a traditional way either, which is right. also partly why they're satisfying. That's true. I also love, speaking of the Joan rhymes, that they almost it almost feels like with some of them that the characters kind of meta like meta making these rhymes as she's talking like enjoying enjoying rhyming joan with high huge high interest loan like (laughs) i love that i love that they saved that for last i mean mean, lisa crone must have had a like had herself when she realized that that was going to happen and like okay i gotta save that for last like yeah in in some way it kind of feels like the writer coming in but also but you could also look at it as like the character sometimes i kind of feel like the character knows they're rhyming and in that in that instance i i kind of feel that and it's kind of delightful because they're like they're they're kind of giddy usually when that happens the character is like kind of giddy so um I just think that works really well in that moment. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and just content-wise, the the beautiful, the how beautiful it is for a character to go through this experience, and how you're kind of with them, going through it is also um, another reason this lyric works so so well. Yeah, I love the lyric. Um, um, Oh my God, last night I was so excited. I was too enthusiastic. Thank you for not (laughs) laughing. Well, you laughed a little bit. At one point when I was touching you and said I might lose consciousness, which you said was adorable. It's just, it kind of goes back and forth again, like you were saying, her stream of consciousness, but also these, that real, that real moment of kind of this first love feeling in the moment with, with Joan sleeping in the bed behind her. Yeah. And that whole like back and forth, like, like I must, I I must not know what I'm doing. Like I hope you don't think I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I think it's important to mention too that it's just come to me. This song is reflective, mm-hmm. right? Normally, when we're talking about musical theater songs, like you know, we're talking about songs that like you know that really um, there's there's a there's I mean there's certainly a reason to sing here, but it's I think to write a reflective song like this is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, and this is a masterclass in how to do it well. Definitely. There's two lines that I wanted to point out. Oh, one of them that I've already mentioned, and my heart feels complete. The page that, I'm, that I looked on the lyrics, somebody made a comment on that line um, that, uh, and I don't know who it is, it's just a, a random... Uh, username but uh she said pet uh petfish says while this could read as an outpouring of love for joan it is more accurately a feeling of wholeness arising from bechtel having accepted her identity as a lesbian and i don't know i just love i mean i think that's a great comment on that line but i also just love how this how this song is working on those two levels like one it's like oh my god this person right here that I have all these feelings for, but also like, oh my God, myself, like I'm going through, like, this is hugely important for me. She has the line, I'm fall, am I falling into nothingness or flying into something so sublime? And I didn't catch this, you know, for a while, but that's a, not a line that Bruce 
sings in his song yes later on uh, um, uh, yeah when he's having his moment before um i guess it's right before he kills himself um spiral alert yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um it's also interesting because, like, the, ho- the whole show is about kind of her in relation to him or her grappling with herself in relation to him. Yeah. And what's what I do love about this song is that it's it feels like one of the few moments in the show that's totally hers without him. And um, I just love that about that. We don't know yet that he's going to take those words later. So but um, that they are connected but we don't know that yet and she doesn't know that yet um but in this song right now it's it's totally herself without him um which i listening to it within the context of the whole show it's it's nice to feel that she has this moment because most of her material is is in relation to him look she drooled on the pillow so sweet all sweaty and tangled up in my bed sheet and my heart feels complete let's never leave this room how about we stay here till finals i'll go to school forever i'll take out a dementedly huge high interest loan because i'm changing my major to John. Cool, well, let's move on to our final section, which is something wonderful, and where we just talk about something in musical theater that we're excited about. Obviously, no shows coming up immediately on (laughs) live theater, but it it could be anything from a virtual show to a book or an album coming out, you know, anything in the musical theater world we want to give a shout out to or something we're excited about. Well, I'm just excited for Broadway to come back, for theater to come back, (laughs) because I think we all miss being in a room together creating art and and uh having having that communal experience and while zoom is wonderful it's not the same thing yeah (laughs) so i I, the night that the uh shutdown of broadway happened i was supposed to go see company so i certainly hope that comes back i was very excited to see that and also six Mm -hmm. um i had tickets to go see that um and i'm also excited about the um all female I realize now all of my choices are kind of female driven which is kind of cool but (laughs) there was like a female all female non-binary cast of 1776 which is supposed to be happening at the roundabout so Mm -hmm. I'm also excited about that that's one of my favorite musicals and I'm kind of uh, excited to see how that's reimagined great I'm excited about what is going to be created through this pandemic um, how we're going to, I mean, we've already seen, um, podcast musicals. I mean, that, that's not something that was, um, uh, new, uh, because of the pandemic. But, uh, I think that, 
I think that as creators of musical theater, we're going to continue to find ways to um, create work and get it out into the world that is uh, meaningful to audiences. And I'm really, um, I think anytime you're, you're creating something, there are confines that you have to work with. There are, there are you know, maybe a cast size, it may be whatever it may be, but those, those um, things that feel like they bind us are actually the places where we allow, if we allow ourselves, we can be most creative. And so I think that this is, um, while it's uh, a horrible time in our, uh, our, our history, um, uh, both in the United States and, and internationally, it also, I think there's an opportunity for uh, 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 <laughs> one writer uh, coined a, a coronaissance um, <laughs> of sorts uh, to really create work that, um, that can work, you know, in, in different mediums. Um, so I'm excited to see what, what comes as a result of this time. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll just add for mine that uh, I've been listening to uh, more podcasts as in this time. And one of them I wanted to give a shout out to is <clears throat> out of Goodspeed, Goodspeed Opera House has a podcast. They just started with one of our former guests, uh, Annika Chapin. And they um, are picking like one musical and like really focusing on talking about that one musical per episode. And she and her co-host, uh, whose name is escaping me at the moment, but um, they are they go into a lot of great, really interesting details about the shows and talk about them in really interesting ways. So I recommend it. It's called In the Spotlight uh, out of Good Speed. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. Contemporary Musical Theater is giving a special discount to their site. Use code Scene to Song, and that's Scene, the number two, Song, uh, for $10 off an annual subscription to ContemporaryMusicalTheater.com. That's usually $49.95, now $39.95 with the code. You can always write to SceneToSong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at Scene2Song, and on Facebook at scene to song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald, and check back here in two weeks for our next episode. Mm-hmm.